Spirit in Action. My name is Mark Helpsmeet. Each week I'll be bringing you stories of people living lives of fruitful service, of peace, community, compassion, creative action, and progressive efforts. I'll be tracing the spiritual roots that support and nourish them in their service, hoping to inspire and encourage you to sink deep roots and produce sacred fruit in your own life. Today's Spirit in Action program, while about a long-standing environmental issue, is also about a time-crucial event to take place in Norman, Oklahoma on March 24, 2013. They'll be hosting an educational forum and music event that day about the Keystone XL Pipeline, which is scheduled to carry tar sands from Canada through many U.S. states, including Oklahoma. We'll talk later to Earl Hadley, Cherokee Elder, and Grand River Keeper, but first we'll speak with one of the dedicated organizers pulling together the March 24th Forum and music. And that music will include, among others, Buffy St. Marie and Indigenous. Right now we'll go to the phone to talk to David Druding of the KXL Pipeline Truth Force. David, thanks for joining me for Spirit in Action. Well, thank you for having me. And thanks for doing this work to organize the event for March 24th. It's going to be there in Norman, Oklahoma, not too far from where you live. Tell us about the event. Tell us about what you're witnessing about and how you're going to be doing that. Well, what we are having is an educational forum on March 24th. It will be taking place in Norman, Oklahoma, just south of Oklahoma City, and the actual Keystone XL pipeline is running across uh, north to south the state of Oklahoma, and Norman is probably within about 40 miles of where the pipeline will be running. What the primary focus of this educational forum is, is to give the people of Oklahoma who are being impacted by this pipeline accurate factually correct information about the pipeline itself and what it's doing and what the impacts are going to be. We're going to be speaking about the economic impacts of the pipeline. We're going to be talking about the health and safety issues that are related to having a pipeline with this tar sands bitumen running through it at 300 PSI through this thin-walled pipe and some of the experiences that have happened in other communities where this has already gone on because this isn't something that's just starting. We also are going to be talking about the extraction process that right now is going on in Canada, but there are several spots here in the United States where the same process is likely to continue on if this program in it from Alberta, Canada is actually successful. The other really important aspect of the event is it's going to be fun. 
we're going to have some very well-known musicians who are also activists who are going to be performing. For those of your listening audience who are older, more in my age range, they probably will recognize the name Buffy St. Marie. She is a Cree Native American from Canada who has been an activist, a pacifist, an artist, musician, songwriter for five decades, really. She is coming with her entire band, and she'll be coming from Ottawa and Toronto, where they live in Canada, and she'll be performing. We also have a wonderful group named Indigenous, who are kind of a blues rock fusion band who just, uh, they're very well known. I'm sure that a lot of your listeners will have heard of them. They are also Native American. They're from South Dakota. And then we're also going to be having some local Native Americans. They'll be doing a drumming circle, and they're also going to be performing an invocational prayer at the beginning of this educational forum. So on March 24th, from noon to 6, that's when you'll be having this event in Norman, Oklahoma. If people want to find out about it, where should they be looking? We have a community Facebook page, and also some of our members, the coalition members, also have Facebook pages. The coalition's own Facebook page is KXL Pipeline Truth Force. That will bring you to the page for our coalition. And then there's also an event Facebook page, KXL Pipeline Truth Force Fact Forum. Also, there is a website for several of our member organizations. The one that comes to mind first is the activist group that are national in scope that have a website specifically for their activities in Norman, Oklahoma, and throughout Oklahoma, and also if this pipeline gets okayed and goes further north up into Kansas and in uh, into South Dakota and into Montana. And the name of that group is Great Plains Tar Sands Resistance. And they are one of the members of the coalition, and they have a website that goes into a lot of depth. And I'll have all those links on my site, nordenspiritradio.org, so people can just come to my site, follow the links. But you're looking for KXL Pipeline Truth Force on Facebook to start off with about this event. Again, March 24th, Norman, Oklahoma, noon to 6. You said, David, that it's to inform people, to give people the, the facts. How open are people to the facts? I'm afraid that a lot of people right now are so worried about whether they have jobs or not that they're grasping at straws. What are the facts that you know of so far about this, or should we just come on the 24th and then we'll find out what the facts are? Well, I mean, for your listening audience, I I am sure that not everybody is going to be able to uh, jump in their cars or hop on a plane and come. So I'll give you a little bit of a background. The first thing that we're having to do, as I talk to people in Oklahoma about this pipeline that's going through, they go, oh, well, yeah, they're going to be taking sweet crude oil from Cushing, Oklahoma, and taking it down to the Gulf. And I said, that's not really what this is for. This is for transporting tar sands bitumen. It's a sticky substance that won't even flow that has to be mined out of the ground in Alberta. And the primary purpose for this pipeline, from what I understand, is not for 
pumping crude from the United States to the Gulf Coast. I said, it's for pumping tar sands, and they just kind of give me this funny look because, in my opinion, what's happened, Mark, is the last two years, the foreign corporation, Trans-Canada Corporation, has had a team, literally a team, of public relations and ad men and another team of attorneys traveling up and down where this pipeline is going to be put and they have been spreading half-truths, distortions, and outright lies, in my opinion, and the opinion of a lot of the people who have been approached. Their legal team very quickly resorts to threats of, you know, if you don't sign with us, we're going to take your property through eminent domain. What we have here is a foreign corporation who, in league with various state agencies, and the Bureau of Indian Affairs, when it came to Oklahoma, are basically taking property from people if they are not willing to sell the rights to putting this pipeline on homeowners or property owners' property. Along with that goes a publicity campaign that, in my opinion, is not accurate. They have been saying, uh, as I just pointed out, that the pipeline is not going to be used for tar sands. It's primarily for oil. That's not true. They're having to put very special accommodations in to run this very thick, viscous tar through the pipelines, and they're having heaters that will be fired with natural gas all the way along the length of it. It's also going to be pressurized to very high pressures, 300 PSI approximately. And in order to get this stuff to run, even when it's heated, they have to add a proprietary mix of solvents and petroleum solvents. We know some of the ingredients, but they don't have to necessarily divulge what they are in it. There is toluene. There is benzoene. Those are both carcinogenic elements. They will be mixed with it to basically thin it out so it can be pumped under high heat, under high pressure, through this pipeline 1,700 miles from Alberta, Canada, to the Gulf of Mexico uh, near Houston. One of the misunderstandings that I've heard about is this is not American-based fuels that are being produced. We're simply shipping from Canada down to the refineries down on the coast. How many jobs are we talking about? Is this information out there? What there has been just recently, and I'm in the process of reading it through right now, there are two really excellent sources online that you can read about that very topic. One of them is a report that was put out by Cornell University, and it's called Pipe Dreams, Jobs Gained, Jobs Lost by Construction of Keystone XL Pipeline. I have read it. I don't have it all highlighted yet, but what they are stating is that if this money that was being spent on this pipeline was instead spent on renewable energy manufacturing, there would be far more jobs made in that when you consider that the construction crews are coming in from out of state, these are not people that are in Oklahoma and that there's going to be very little monitoring of this pipeline. In my opinion, for most of the people of the United States, this is not a job gain whatsoever. And as in what you mentioned, Mark, is exactly the case. This is a foreign corporation bringing a foreign, very low-quality, bottom-of-the-petroleum-bucket product from Canada 
across the United States to duty-free sites along the Gulf Coast to be maybe partially refined in U.S. Well, no, oh, no, I want to correct that. These refineries are not owned by the United States. They're owned by foreign corporations. The main one that has bought up most of them is China. Okay, so these are duty-free refineries on the U.S. Gulf of Mexico coast, but they are not U.S.-owned refineries. Then it will be pumped into large tanker ships, and it will go to foreign markets, mostly in Asia. So the only thing that most of the, in fact, all of the states along the pipeline, all they're getting, in my opinion, is the increased dangers of this toxic slurry leaking, and it's not a matter, Mark, of if it leaks. It's a matter of when it leaks. Just from the history of these pipelines, both owned by TransCanada and, more importantly, the right here in the United States, the history of a terrible, terrible pipeline rupture that happened in Michigan in July of 2010 along the Kalamazoo River. And it's, again, something that can be looked at online, and you can see these horrific pictures of what developed from that. The the section of the Kalamazoo River in my native state is dead. It's still dead. And the EPA and the company that was responsible for that ruptured pipe, Enbridge, have both acknowledged in court that they do not have the technology to clean up uh, tar sands rupture than a release of that magnitude. There was over 850,000 gallons lost in that rupture. Again, we're talking to David Druding about what's going to be happening on March 24th in Norman, Oklahoma, from noon to 6. There's going to be an educational event, the KXL Educational Forum and Music Event. We're going to have Buffy St. Marie there. Indigenous is going to be playing, there'll be drum circles, and there's going to be speakers about all of the various aspects of Tar Sands Pipeline. You're vitally interested in this, I think, David, because it's going very near where you live. It's also going to be affecting a lot of Americans, and I think you're concerned about the environment in general. What would you say is your top priority? Why is this extremely important? I I know that you and Carmen and the other folks from the coalition that I've talked to you're working yourselves ragged getting this information out. Why is it so important to you? What is the aspect that particularly motivates you? Several months ago when I was driving down to Dallas, I was driving along through Oklahoma, and I came to a spot where I saw a huge strip of land that had just been totally denuded. There was nothing on it except these huge pipes. It looked like a moonscape. Everything had been destroyed, and they were doing these sleeves underneath the road, and and just marked the size of this thing was it was so big that I just went, what am I looking at? And I mean that's how ignorant I was. It was already going on, and I didn't even know about it. And then it it occurred to me that what this was was the pipeline that I was hearing a little bit about, and I'd heard some people were doing protests and doing civil disobedience there, and I became interested in it from that standpoint. And then as I learned more about it and I watched some other really good educational videos online, the primary one, I think, being that I would ask your listening audience to go to is Garth Lenz. He's a Canadian photographer, and he has a TED series lecture that is called The High Cost of Oil. In that, he has all sorts of pictures 
about what is happening in Canada where in the, uh, the boreal forests that are primarily on Native American reservations, just the damage that's being done there. And also, of course, Garth also points out the fact that these forests are so important as carbon sinks in keeping the, the whole global environment cooler. Then I listened to Dr. James Hansen talk about the fact that just the carbon being released from this tar sands as it's processed and then burned, it will put us over the tipping point and it will be what he calls game over. So it's all of the above. It's the effect it's going to have on the climate of the whole globe. I mean, Dr. Hansen is a noted NASA scientist. That's probably foremost as I've learned more about it. But then when I realized the dirty deal that the people in Oklahoma and all the states that this thing is going to, there's no benefit for them. There's no jobs produced by that, in my opinion. That smokescreen and mirrors that TransCanada Corporation is putting out to try to win support for it. It's already in progress, isn't it? Has part of it been built? Oh, yeah. We're waiting. I mean, I think upcoming is whether the president is going to sign off on this, is going to permit it to be finished or something. But I suppose they've already sunk many billions of dollars into yes, getting in fact, as far as they have. Uh, it's been pointed out that if the president were to do that, the North American Free Trade Agreement will probably allow Canada to sue United States because they've already spent money on it. But regardless of that, this thing shouldn't be built. But you're right. Uh, what the history of it has been is that before the election, 350.org really had a strong presence and I think what the, you may know the number, I think it was 1,200 people got arrested during a civil disobedience action there. The president said, based on that kind of outpouring that there was from people at that rally, uh, that he was going to hold off and was not going to allow TransCanada to build the pipeline. And then as the election approached, I believe it was before the election, there was so much pressure put on them by lobbyists and people within the Congress who are working hand-in-hand -hand with the lobbyists that he felt forced to allow what he called the southern leg of the pipeline to be constructed. The southern leg runs from the Gulf Coast where these free trade refineries are located up to Cushing, Oklahoma, which is where our actions are focused. And Cushing, Oklahoma has huge tank farms where crude oil is stored until it goes out for refining in all over the country. So they're kind of a hub. They're right now working on that section of the pipeline, and the section through Texas is almost pretty much done. There are still some lawsuits. There's several of the landowners who have a suit that hasn't been settled yet that have been stating that TransCanada Corporation entered into fraudulent contracts with them by lying to them on the contracts about what this pipeline was for. And those are still in litigation. It's possible that if the courts find in favor of these property owners that there will be a real problem with this pipeline. But what you asked is true. Yes, it is under construction. In fact, this southern leg is likely going to be completed all the way up to Cushing, Oklahoma within two months. 
I wanted to also ask David something about your personal motivations in this. Obviously, you've put in a lot of skin in the game to be part of the KXL Pipeline Truth Force Coalition. You're working night and day about this. I know because I'm trying to get a hold of you, right? <laughs> and so why for you personally so much skin? What's your spiritual overview of this world that means you're going to work this hard about something? Gosh, that's a difficult question because you could go in so many different directions. I was talking to some of the activists not very long ago, and I mentioned to them that, I mean, these guys are, and girls, these young men and women are probably in their 20s, but I've been telling them that if I were them, I'd be pissed off at me because we've just left them with a situation that... uh, I'm a grandpa. They have every right to be pissed off at my generation because of the situation that they're being handed as they become adults. We older people need to be taking responsibility for what's going on right now. I don't want to leave this for my grandkids. The idea that all you do is, you know, feed your family and somebody else has to take care of these kind of problems has gotten us into the situation we're in right now, Mark. And, you know, I've got a couple grandkids and I want them to be able to understand that some of us have actually been working on trying to resolve the problems that have come up in the last 30 or 40 years. It's, it's not right that we're not taking any consideration for what kind of the shape the planet's in as we uh, pass it on to the future generations. Now, again, we're talking about an event that will be happening in Norman, Oklahoma. The KXL Pipeline Truthworth Coalition is organizing this educational forum and music event about the KXL Pipeline. It's going to be happening from noon to 6 on March 24th. Back on February 14th, about 40,000 people showed up at the Washington Monument concerned about the same issues. Of course, you're doing education that's local. It's about tar sands in general, but it's also applicable to what's happening right there in Oklahoma and Arkansas, right where you live. So are you hoping that about 40,000 show up on March 24th? And do you, ha- well, do you have enough to say, for it? I was one of those 40,000. In fact, I've been hearing that more accurately now CNN is saying 45 to 50,000. But there were 17 of us from Arkansas who made it there to Washington. It's a, it's a comfortable, uh, about an 18-hour ride if you just full-tilt boogie there. I was there among the people on the 17th that was the big rally, and you're right. On the 14th, there were people who were doing civil disobedience action, some of them who had never done it before. But, you know, it's hard to say how many people will come to Oklahoma. I mean, Oklahoma isn't as populated as the East Coast is, but we're hoping that several thousand people show up, and I kind of think they will. I mean, we've gone to quite a bit of uh, links to have some really good speakers that are going to be able to really explain some of these complex economic and financial issues and health and safety as well as environmental issues. And also the the music is just going to be dynamite. Yeah, having Buffy St. Marie there, indigenous, you'll have drum circles, all kinds of things going on as part of this thing on March 24th, 2013, right there in Norman, Oklahoma. Is there a place for people to register? They just show up. There isn't. Uh, what we're asking people to do is just basically network about this 
and there isn't going to be any ticket price. We're asking for donations of $5 from people, and that's basically to just we're an all-volunteer staff, but we do have certainly expenses. We're also paying for transportation and accommodations for people who are coming in and give their time to do this, and certainly there's other costs involved with holding an event like this. But there isn't any way that you need to register. All I would suggest is this is going to be in an amphitheater that's very well covered. In case that it's inclement weather, bring a raincoat or an umbrella because this is going to happen rain or shine. The place where people can find something about this, follow the links from org. If you want to search directly, go to KXL Pipeline Truth Force. That's on Facebook. You'll find some information about it. I understand you're very happy to have green sponsors for this event. Also, you're welcoming donations. I understand that if people do want to make donations, $75 or more, they can be tax deductible. Follow the link from NordenSpiritRadio.org. We'll get you to the right place to make those donations to help out this event on March 24th in Norman, Oklahoma. And, you know, aren't we all tired of going to Washington, D.C.? Wouldn't it be better to go to Norman, Oklahoma and connect with some really engaged people out there in the center of the United States. We've got some really great work that you're doing, David, and I appreciate so much you joining me for Spirit in Action. Thank you, Mark. David Druding of the KXL Pipeline Task Force was my first guest today for Spirit in Action. I'm your host, Mark Helpsmeet, for this Northern Spirit Radio production on the web at northernspiritradio.org. With approaching eight years of archives to listen to and download, there's a place to leave comments, very helpful, you know, and an opportunity to donate to keep Northern Spirit Radio running. Also, consider a donation to your local community radio station, such an important alternative voice available due to your help and donations. My second guest today is Earl Hadley, a Cherokee elder and Grand River Keeper. You'll learn what that is later. A dedicated advocate for the earth and water, Earl Hadley joins us by phone. Earl, I'm very pleased you could join me today for Spirit in Action. Well, thank you. It's great to be here, and thanks for inviting me. How could I not? There are a number of people who've been active around issues of the Keystone XL pipeline. You've got such a long history that make you, for me, to be a primary source for how we can care for this earth. Although I want to talk about the pipeline, I also want to fill this in first by your background so people understand what a Grand River Keeper is. So could you fill us in a bit about your background and what it means to be a river keeper? First and primarily, a river keeper is an advocate for his or her watershed that we take on. When we become a river keeper and we join the Waterkeeper Alliance, River keepers or water keepers are organizations that are grassroots in their watersheds. But to become a river keeper, our organization becomes a part of the Waterkeeper Alliance. And to do that, we go through rigorous back and forth with the alliance, whose president of the board is Robert F. Kennedy, Jr., And if we meet their standards of respectability, for one thing, and then the ability to achieve consensus within the watershed of groups and support and 
coalition building in order to bring local and regional and state government and corporations together in order to prevent or and or repair harm occurring or potentially occurring to the watershed, then the Waterkeeper Alliance will allow your organization to carry the title of Riverkeeper, Waterkeeper, Baykeeper. So we have to meet a high standard of ability to identify problems with our watershed, which would not only be water quality, but abundance of aquatic life or problems with variety of aquatic life within the watershed as well as the riparian area, which is the banks and ecosystem along the banks and in the floodplains. So, you know, we have to look at the entire ecosystem and ensure that everything is right. If there are problems, then we have to identify that, work with appropriate agencies and with groups, civic groups, work together to find out what may be going wrong. If there are municipalities or confined animal feeding operations, for example, or whatever the problem may be, then we can work with them or we can bring in agency support to bring back the ecosystem to health. You're the grand river keeper, though. You told me the standards are high for a river keeper. How do you get to be grand? <laughs> Don't pay attention to that word. My watershed is the Grand River. That's just the name of my watershed. <laughs> you picked it for that reason, I suppose. <laughs> no, no, I just, I'm here. <laughs> The first time I went to a waterkeeper conference, I was in front of all these new people that I didn't know, and we were at a lunch, and I was standing in the lunch line, and people were shaking my hand, and we were talking, and they said, oh, the Grand Riverkeeper, and I said, yeah, how about that? And I think it was Bobby Kennedy or somebody else said, well, wait till we have a superior river keeper, meaning like <laughs> superior. <laughs> kind of up where <laughs> I live. Yeah, you got me there. <laughs> so it's, yeah, people tease me about that, but it's just a legacy. Anyway, <laughs> there are two Grand River Keepers in the Alliance. There's Grand River in Labrador, Canada. And so now I'm the Grand River Keeper Oklahoma, and she's the Grand River Keeper Labrador. You know, one of the things that's true, Earl, is you're Native American. You're, I think, of the Cherokee people and some other clans. I mean, I, I'm not sure of all of your ancestry, though I know that there's Cherokee in there. Yeah, Cherokee and uh, Delaware. Is River Keeper completely a secular organization? Is it spiritual, religious, or how do those overlap? Oh, no, no, that's not a part of it at all. It has to do with having a strong 501c3 nonprofit organization with the capacity to have a full-time River Keeper on the water with the knowledge and background to do the work and uh, board of directors and uh, staff to back them up and to be the kind of 
person and organization that people on the river can look up to and be proud of. And as far as spirituality, there's no question about that. You know, in the process, uh, people from all faiths or, you know, non-faiths are involved. We have people from every country and every walk of life that are river keepers and water keepers. We have people from Russia, from China, from India, from Australia, from Colombia, from Venezuela, from Argentina, from all over the world. So we have Buddhists and we have atheists and we have Hindus and we have American Indians. So we have everybody in the Alaska. When I first started, it was English speaking. So the first two or three annual conferences I went to was that way, but more and more people were coming up. We had some people coming up from Mexico, so they had translators with them. But now, at our annual conferences, we have headsets. It's like the UN. They all sit with headsets, and there are translators in the back because it's all different languages. I went to a UN meeting on Mercury. I was a delegate, indigenous delegate from the U.S., and you know, I sat there every meeting with a headset getting every nation translated into my ear. And now the uh, Waterkeeper Alliance conferences are exactly like that. Could you talk a bit about how, for you, this work as a waterkeeper intersects both with your spirituality and things like the Keystone XL pipeline? As a waterkeeper or riverkeeper, fundamentally, I'm going to protect water, and this pipeline crosses so many rivers and streams and aquifers in my state and in other states as well. So that's one thing. It's not crossing my watershed, but it's crossing watersheds that I've lived around, that I fished in as a child, and growing up as a young man, I have land near one of them that I cherish, the Cimarron River. I've written songs about that river, and they were spiritual songs. I'm very spiritual about our earth. I became a warrior for Mother Earth through a vision quest that I had when I was 22 years old. I'm 66 now. I was shown my path and told that I'm a warrior for Mother Earth and that's my life's work. That's what I'm supposed to do and that's what I've done all along. You know, I've always been an activist, an organizer for the public interest consulting with environmental organizations and tribal governments and tribal organizations. And I was aware of the plight of the First Nations in Canada long before there was this pipeline. I knew what was going on up there through one of my favorite groups, the Indigenous Environmental Network, which I've been associated with from the early 1990s. I was shocked to find that this thing was coming through the middle of my state, and so I got involved with it for nearly five years ago. It's been difficult to get people woke up in Oklahoma about this thing. 
because this is fundamentally an oil state and people don't understand the people all about yet another oil pipeline. They don't understand what's on the other end of it. They don't understand the importance of this whole thing regarding uh, climate change. They don't see it. I see it even way back then at the age of 22 in my vision. I saw it. I saw one view of our Earth if we went one direction and another view if we went another direction. And I was to take us in that other direction. And I've worked as hard as I could, but we're on a precipice of going that wrong direction. And it is really scary to me that we're ever so close in making the bad decision. I can't seem to get across to people what is happening, but I um, fear that I will live long enough to witness us taking steps down the, the wrong fork in the road. I really fear for my grandchildren about that. All I can do is my best to hope that we can take the other fork in the road and walk the path to our freedom and the path to healing of our planet, our Mother Earth, and our future generations. I've read about you, Earl, that, among other things, you were director from 1993-97 of Oklahoma Toxics Campaign. I've heard you were involved with AIM, American Indian Movement. Can you fill in a little bit of the background of how you've actually lived out your activism? Well, I was on the periphery of that. I was primarily involved with anti-war efforts during that time because I was a veteran. I could have been more involved with AIM. I was invited to do more things, but I felt obligated to work more on anti-war efforts. Got myself arrested a lot doing that. So I'm talking to a criminal right now? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, you could say that. <laughs> In a good way, I'm thinking. Well, I think so. I, I'd like to get a few more ideas from you about the spirituality. I'd like to understand a little bit more about the spirituality. I, For all I know, you're Christian, as well as whatever Native background you have. Could you fill in for me why caring for the earth is fundamental spiritually to you? I mean, I, I know it's the place we live on, and that's true for everyone, regardless of their religion. Some people seem to pay more attention to that than others. I don't know. That's kind of a difficult answer. I don't understand how it can be separated, but I see it all around me, you know, people that way. I think it's changing, though. I think more and more Christian people are changing that perspective. It seemed to be that there was this ideation that we're going to heaven, and so what difference does it make if we use up these resources? I don't know that people saw it that way entirely, but that was how they acted. And I think that's changing. More and more denominations are going the other direction with that, and I'm inspired to see that. I'm kind of an odd bird spiritually. I never really got on with the church as a young man. I just really wasn't made that way from the very beginning. 
you know, left as fast as I could. But there was something there that I did like. I just didn't like the people around me. That, again, goes to what I'm saying. So what I saw fundamentally around me was hypocrisy. And even as a very young boy, I saw that. I should go back and say that as a Cherokee, I saw things that people around me did not see. I saw things from my heritage, and other people could not understand. But what it was showing me was the hypocrisy around me as well as the destruction of life. Because for me, nature was alive. The clouds were showing me symbols of life. The trees actually had a voice. So did the grasses as they rolled with the wind. And everything was alive. And human beings were destroying it as fast as they could around me. And every time a huge parking lot was built, it would literally make me cry. And I was only 10, 11 years old, and it was having that effect on me. And, and the church was supporting all of that. And But the words of Jesus were different than that. And I could relate to everything that he said, but the things that he said were not the same thing as how the people were acting. That has always been with me, always. After I got out of the service and I started working on the war, and there was a point early in it where I sat down and I reread the New Testament, and I, I went back and I just read the quotes. And I thought, whether or not this man lived or not, these quotes are precious. And if everybody lived by that, this would not be the same world at all. Guys like Francis of Assisi would rule the world. So I left where I was, and I stuck out my thumb on Highway 66 and decided I was going to live by this man's rule. And I was going to go out, and I wasn't going to take an extra coat, and an extra pair of shoes, and I was just going to live by that faith. That's what I did for years and years. And I went to Arkansas to a remote area where there was a cave and a spring, and I did my vision quest, and I saw that I was being an environmental activist, that I was to walk this road to protect the earth from this devastation. I've been the same way ever since, and so I could say I was born with this that I was born here to do this. I saw it as young as I can remember, that there are too many human beings on this planet, and they're headlong into wrecking the place instead of loving it as God's creation. I always like to say, man cannot build a temple greater than the one God created for him. And so why is he headlong devoted to destroying it. I absolutely agree with you. Exactly. So what I understand that religious, spiritually, there's a lot you could connect with, that the words of Jesus were precious to you. You didn't see it lived out in the faith, Baptist or other, that you happened to run into. I happen to be Quaker. I was raised Catholic, though. And I've had to go searching to find a place where something would fit for me. Do you find your spiritual community the religious spiritual community 
among American Indians, or are you just fine by yourself? Is the Earth brother and sister enough for you in this? Well, I find it among my Indian community, but I, as far as my spiritual practice, that was a long journey. After my vision, I became interested in, in meditation. I practiced yoga for many years, Buddhism, Taoism. So I, I went through the Eastern religions as well. There's a thing that happened where I went back to an original meditation practice that really fit with me. And I used that for a long time. Met this Delaware man older than me, much older, that took me in, and we have become great friends. He's unfortunately close to passing on, and that has really helped a lot. I still, you know, retain everything that I said before. I meditate, pray to the Creator. I still believe everything that Jesus said as truth. I just saw where the Pope named himself Francis after Francis of Assisi. I think that's really great. I hope that he fulfills what that means. We'll see. But in the meantime, this pipeline and the destruction of the boreal forest is by itself the fulfillment of that vision of what can happen if we go the wrong direction because of where we are already, because of where China is already, because of the amount of carbon that we already have in the air, because of the amount of gas that's coming up out of the melted tundra in the Arctic and from the ocean in the Arctic area that has already melted enough to spew into the atmosphere more carbon than we're putting into the air every year around the planet because enough warming has already happened. To continue to knock down the forest, which is the largest carbon sink that we have on the planet and produces the oxygen that is our largest form of oxygenator for the northern hemisphere, to start knocking that down and then burning it, burning that carbon on top of it, is the end. I mean, it's going to start the initial tipping point that, according to Dr. James Hansen at NOAA, the leading climatologist there, could begin a cascade event that we cannot stop. And he calls the Keystone Pipeline the fuse to that carbon bomb. Why is our government not paying attention to our leading scientists and the leading scientists at the UN and all around the globe? Why is John Kerry's State Department allowing contractors for TransCanada to write the environmental impact study for the State Department and the State Department using that as a government document to say that this thing doesn't matter environmentally because the tar sands are going to be dug up anyway, so the pipeline isn't relevant. What is going on here? It's not science, obviously. Obviously. This is really sad, you know, that this is going on and that the people don't understand. They're walking with blinders on. You talked about climate change. You talked about arboreal forests being destroyed. 
Is there a particular threat to the groundwater and you as a river keeper or water keeper? Is there a particular threat to that because of these tar sands oil pipeline? I mean, you've already got a lot of oil. As you said, you've got an oil state there, and I think you've got pipelines going through. Are tar sands oil pipelines worse than regular oil pipelines in terms of a threat to the water? Yes, they are, because what we found out long ago, and workers are still telling us today, is that this steel is the steel was found to be manufactured in China, which is illegal. That was exposed, and I thought it was being taken care of, but we've had some whistleblowers recently come out and talk about inferior pipe. We've had some of our blockade people that were arrested because they went inside the pipe, and while they were in there, they saw holes in the wells. Light was shining through. And when they were pulled out, they were yelling that you could see holes in the wells there. And instead of anybody looking in, they buried it. And so we think, and we are being told by former workers and whistleblowers that that is true up and down the pipeline. That's one thing. The other thing is these particular pipelines, the tar sands pipelines, have a horrible track record of leaks. The first Keystone Pipeline from Steel City, Nebraska to Cushing, Oklahoma, according to its environmental impact statement, its probability of leak is one leak per seven years. It's ten and a half years old and it's already leaked 30 times. And one of them was a gusher going up 30 feet in the air and leaked 1,200 gallons of tar sands, and it took forever to clean up. The first cleanup, they covered it up. They didn't clean it up. They just sawed it over the top of it. And when a farmer went out to inspect the cleanup, he went knee-deep into it. What we found out then was the reason that so much of it spilled, because when the pressure went down, TransCanada in their control room in Alberta, which is where they control the pipeline from, when the pressure went down, instead of thinking maybe they had a leak, they pressured up. And the same thing happened with Enbridge, another tar sands pipeline company. When they had a blowout of a pipe on a tributary of the Kalamazoo River, and it just exploded, instead of shutting it down, they just kept pressuring up as the pressure went down. And so they ended up spilling over a million gallons of tar sand into that tributary that polluted miles and miles of the Kalamazoo River and forced the evacuation of, of all but 20% of the people that lived there and all of the businesses. And that was two and a half years ago, and it's still not cleaned up because the EPA finally had to admit they don't know how to clean up tar sands because it sinks to the bottom. Now, in order to push tar sands through a pipeline, because it's tar, and they have to go through this process of getting sand out of the tar, which they can't get all of, and then they have to mix it with solvents, including benzene, which is carcinogenic. And then they have to put it in the pipeline at extremely high pressure and high temperature 
to get all that to shoot down the pipeline, it's highly corrosive because of the tar and the sand that's mixed with it. So as it goes down this inferior steel, its corrosive nature wears through the pipeline. So this is why they're getting all these spills and leaks. So that's what's going to leak in the groundwater. And so they're going to go underneath streams with this, or the water table is going to be high. And so that's going to go right into aquifers, where drinking water is derived from cities and farms. You know, what their history of leaks and blowouts, it's just a matter of time on, in any given state that something bad could happen. So there are a lot more dangers. There's reasons to be specifically concerned about this, even in an oil state like Oklahoma. Are you going to be there on the 24th of March in Norman, Oklahoma, to be part of the educational event there that's being organized, getting people thinking about this? Well, yeah, I'll be there. I'll be around. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time today to talk to me. More than that, really, I'm, I'm so thankful for your life of witness, for how you followed up your vision quest, how you've lived it out, how you continue to live it out. Thank you so much for that work, and thank you for joining me for Spirit in Action. I'm really thankful that you allowed me to bend your ear this way. I can't thank you enough. I hope the Creator blesses all listening and yourself. And I hope that we can all walk down that good road that I was shown we're supposed to walk down to make our planet the best it can be for all the rest of the generations coming after us. Thanks again, Earl. We've been speaking with Earl Hadley. He's a Cherokee elder. He's the Grand River Keeper in northeastern Oklahoma, advocate for the watershed there, a longtime activist, part of the Waterkeeper Alliance, and he'll be in Norman, Oklahoma for the March 24th educational event about the Keystone XL Pipeline. The theme music for this program is Turning of the World, performed by Sarah Thompson. This Spirit in Action program is an effort of Northern Spirit Radio. You can listen to our programs and find links and information about us and our guests on our website, northernspiritradio.org. Thank you for listening. I am your host, Mark Helpsmeet, and I welcome your comments and stories of those leading lives of spiritual fruit. May you find deep roots to support you and grow steadily toward the light. This is Spirit in Action. With every voice.